Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Matt Dawson to the show. Dr. Matthew Dawson received his undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering from Colorado School of Mines and his MSc and PhD in mechanical engineering from MIT, graduating at the top of his class from both institutions. He has spent more than a decade of his career in research and project management roles at the likes of ExxonMobil, Lawrence Livermore National Labs, and MIT Investment Management Company. He has filed more than 60 patent applications in the energy industry alone, and overseen the development of numerous technologies which have gone on to be widely deployed throughout the industry. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Raj. Matt, where are you currently located? We are located in Provo, Utah, in the beautiful uh, mountains there. Uh, but we're, we have facilities in Ireland, and uh, we're also setting up shop in Texas soon. Well, welcome to Texas. <laughs> Thanks. So, Matt, I like to open my show by asking my guests the following question. If you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it kind of frames why I've gone, you know, the entrepreneurship route as well. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in, you know, somewhat of a challenging, adverse environment, and it drove me to, you know, really want to do something and be a success. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of aspired to that for a long time. And I found that, you know, in entrepreneurship, you're able to really go out there and, and you know, deliver on what you're capable of delivering on. Um, so, uh, you know, you're not restricted by some of the other things that are in place, um, in some of the, the larger corporations. And so, you know, I found that, you know, I just love being in, in the entrepreneurship space and, and driving to, uh, you know, do things that haven't been done before. Are you open to sharing what the challenging and adverse environment was? Yeah, yeah, I could a little bit. Um, you know, I guess I grew up kind of poor, I guess you'd say, uh, you know, on food stamps and if you'd believe that or not. Uh, and just a very, you know, difficult economic environment for, for most of my childhood. Um, and that kind of, you know, spurred me and drove me to excel. So, you know, I put myself through college, uh, put myself through grad school, ended up actually completing grad school at MIT you know, at 24 years old. So uh, I was really ambitious when I was younger <laughs> and um, I finished my PhD at 24. So I, I kind of raced through uh, some parts of life there. But, um, you know, I, I think it was kind of setting the foundation. Those adversities uh, set the foundation that enabled me to kind of persevere and overcome a lot of challenges later on in life. So that is really an amazing story. For those of the audience that didn't catch it, Matt has a PhD from MIT. You know, this could be a whole show in itself. And I usually end the show by asking the question regarding advice or words of wisdom to the audience. But I'm going to 
stop here for a moment and just ask about some of your journey and that, that drive that you had to get the education and put yourself to school. Like you mentioned the food stamps and obviously the challenging environment, but what else influenced you to you know, take on such a large challenge? Yeah, well, I think actually it's not just, you know, the adversity, but I think there was also the element of support. Um, so my parents, uh, you know, particularly my father was was a great role model. He was always very encouraging, uh, you know, and, and he's just inspirational, to be frank. Uh, he would tell me stories about Marconi and, you know, about uh, Alexander Graham Bell and, you know, Thomas Edison as a, as a young child um, in my elementary school years. I would hear these stories of these people who, you know, faced adversity and overcame. Uh, and I think it's that combination. And it's interesting, no matter what environment you grow up in, it kind of taught me that, you know, regardless of your circumstance, uh, you, can, you can, you know, get out of it. You can excel above and beyond maybe what anyone would, would think. Uh, and and it, part of that is the network that you have in place, uh, the support network. And so, you know, I, I guess the encouraging note would be as parents, maybe for some of us or even grandparents, uh, you know, we can always provide that type of support network. Uh, and, and even as friends and colleagues and CEOs, you know, you'd be amazed at uh, what people can do when they're when they're supported and when they're really you know inspired. It's a beautiful story, Matt. I appreciate you sharing that. During the inspirational story piece, you mentioned a couple of gentlemen. You mentioned Marconi. I'm familiar with who he is, and I heard a story about him about 20 years ago. But can you just share for the audience who Marconi is? Yeah, well, if I can remember from my youth, but uh, Marconi <laughs> was uh, is a fascinating story. I believe he's Italian, uh, and he was the one who really invented, as we know it today, the radio the, the radio transmission. And so it's a fascinating story. I wish my father was here to tell it because he'd tell it far better. But he had developed when he was uh, in his young younger years, his adolescent years, really, uh, he had developed a, a short transmission device. Uh, and at that point, someone actually asked to uh, purchase that from him, but he didn't, he didn't want to stop there. So he ended up moving. Uh, and again, you know, Wikipedia this, but I believe he moved to the UK and he he progressed even further um, and, and eventually was able to get that signal transmitted all the way across uh, the English Channel, uh, which was, you know, it's the foundation for so much of the technology and innovation that we have over the past, you know, 50 years even is, is based upon, um, you know, much of the work he did, uh, you know, uh, quite some time back. So, uh, you know, it, it is an encouraging story because he too wasn't, uh, you know, well to do. Um, you know, by any means. And he actually had an opportunity to sell what he had uh, come up with when it was in its infancy, but he really persevered and stuck with it and grew it up into something that was even far greater. And for those that might be thinking about the time frame, this is late 1800s, early 1900s. And I believe the piece that I read regarding Marconi said that um, his original transmission is still out there somewhere circling circulating the globe. And if you have the right equipment, you'll be able to pick it up. So that was my introduction to Marconi. Interesting. Fantastic. So Matt, switching gears, can you give me an overview of your current endeavor, Utility Global? Yeah, absolutely. So Utility Global is really set out to disrupt the energy landscape. Um, you know, we're bringing about low cost, sustainable energy solutions using a breakthrough manufacturing process we've developed around 
solid oxide electrochemical devices. Um, you know, our goal, really, if you step back at a high level, our goal is to enable society to have low cost, low carbon solutions, both in the electricity space and in the hydrogen space. Uh, both of those are massive markets. The electricity market, of course, we know trillion dollar market and growing the hydrogen market, much to my surprise, a uh, hundred billion plus dollar market and growing uh, at a tremendous rate. We're seeing billion dollar projects announced almost weekly. Uh, so it's it's a very hot market right now. Uh, and, and the reason is, as renewables become a bigger part of the energy picture, the issues around intermittency and storage and transmission uh, become more and more pressing. And frankly, if you look at all the lithium that's available on the earth today, lithium batteries are not the solution to that problem. Uh, you just, there isn't enough to be mined on the earth to actually solve that problem. And so we have to come up with something else. And we believe that hydrogen is that solution that's going to enable uh, mass adoption of renewables in an economic fashion going forward. Uh, so that's our big focus is around, you know, using our electrochemical breakthrough technologies for hydrogen production. What spurred you to come up with the idea and then decide to launch a company? Yeah, well, I, you know, I worked in energy for quite some time in my career, you know, oil and gas specifically. And, you know, I've always had a passion for innovation, energy, but also uh, the environment. And that was part of the reason I ended up leaving, you know, the direct oil and gas industry uh, and, and, you know, venturing off on this, uh, this journey. You know, if you think about it, the average American or the average household uses over 10,000 kilowatt hours of electricity every year in the U.S. That's equivalent to over 10,000 pounds of CO2 emitted just from your electricity usage. If you start to think about how would you even truck, you know, if you were to put that in solid form, how would you even truck away 10,000 pounds of CO2 emissions? What would that look like from an engineer's perspective uh, in, in vapor form um, rather than solid form? It's hard to fathom our impact on the environment. We have this beautiful earth that somehow in this beautiful atmosphere, it's absorbing all of this CO2 uh, for us with, you know, perhaps not much of a visible impact. But if you translate it, that into something that's visible to you and you were to fill up um, rooms or stadiums with your 10,000 pounds of CO2 uh, generated every year from your electricity use alone, not talking about, you know, food, I'm not talking about transportation, uh, you know, I think that would change people's perspective. And that was one of the drivers for me to say, we have to act to do something. And who better is positioned than, you know, people who have experience in the current energy, um, you know, market that we have today to understand the shortfalls and to understand maybe what we could do better. So how far along are you on your commercialization journey? So we're making tremendous progress. Uh, we're actually in the process right now of building our first hydrogen uh, pilot. It's going to launch in Q1, and we're hoping to actually build that in Texas. So all of our prospective customers, partners, and friends can come out and see what we believe and hope to be the world's lowest cost distributed hydrogen production technology. Uh, our long-term targets are to be under $1 per kilogram for hydrogen production. And today to give a, you know, an example, uh, many people would be excited to be at $8, you know, $10 a kilogram, uh, for hydrogen production. So, you know, we're, we're really looking to disrupt this market. And we think that 
the pilot that we're you know designing constructing as we speak uh, is going to do just that now with your depth and expertise why did you choose hydrogen first yeah that's an excellent question i mean obviously when you consider hydrogen it has a tremendous amount of energy storage capacity as any you know kind of hydrocarbon uh, fuel might relative to say trying to store the energy in a lithium ion system right so just the the energy density is tremendous um, the ability to obviously utilize it in a, a number of different fashions such as combustion such as electrochemical devices is appealing and the ability to obviously utilize it to get electricity uh, out or even heat out in some instances without generating CO2 is also appealing, right? So it had uh, kind of this nexus of appealing elements. And, and we just see, frankly, with renewables on the horizon growing at the rate that they are, that the battery solutions that are in the market today and the ones um, that I've been aware of, they, they don't really have the potential to solve the issues that we're facing. And renewable adoption will be not impeded by the cost of the next solar panel or the next wind turbine. It's going to be impeded by the cost of adding it to the grid. And you know, I have these beautiful plots that show the cost, the true cost of electricity per country as a function of renewable installation. And, and it's, it's a linear plot, you know, as you increase renewables, the costs go up, but it's not because, you know, re renewables themselves are intrinsically expensive. It's because of this grid scale storage issue the intermittency, the backup power, the transmission, and those problems are solved, we believe, best by hydrogen uh, from an economic and from a uh, just a scalability perspective. So can you share who some of your customers might be and what kind of use they would have for the hydrogen? Absolutely. So some of our early customers um, that we would target uh, would be Ones like Amazon and Walmart, uh, as surprising as that may be, for distributed hydrogen because they have a tremendous network of warehouses throughout the, the country and the world. And right now they really are, you know, suffering because they're having to use these battery powered forklifts. Uh, it turns out fuel cell powered forklifts are far cheaper and can be far cheaper. And of course, you know, not emitting, uh, you know, hazardous or, or you know, difficult to uh, have indoor emissions that maybe a diesel-powered forklift would emit. Um, and so fuel cells are, are certainly a, a viable solution, but the cost of distributed hydrogen is too much uh, to really see broad adoption. If we're able to bring that down an order of magnitude and cost, which is what we aim to do in very short order, we would see massive uh, fuel cell-powered forklift adoption. And that's just one market. We also want to you know, talk with our friends at Exxon and Chevron and uh, you know, Shell and BP, uh, who want to bring their emissions down and their costs down. They currently produce over $100 billion worth of hydrogen every year. Um, we want to plug right into their existing steam methane reforming chemical plants, bring their emissions down and bring their costs down simultaneously. Uh, and of course, partnering with, you know, companies like Praxair and Air Liquide, et cetera, to bring about those massive chemical um, changes in the chemical infrastructure in this country. And then third, the third leg, I guess, of the, the stool that we would go after is transportation. Um, you know, we, we see companies like Nikola who wants to build massive hydrogen uh, infrastructure for uh, class eight vehicles. 
being a great target customer for us. Again, just purely on an economic basis, but also on an environmental basis. We think, we, in fact, we're confident that we will be, uh, you know, the world leaders on both of those fronts when it comes to hydrogen production. You know, there's been some debate in the automotive community for the last, let's say, 10 years, seven years between electric and hydrogen. Toyota is obviously the one that's, you know, leading the hydrogen side with the Mirai, I think only available in California right now. What are your personal thoughts just regarding, you know, the automotive industry and some of the opportunities for hydrogen going forward? Well, stepping back, certainly at the larger scale class A vehicles, hydrogen is almost the only one that makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense uh, just because the amount of uh, weight of the battery you'd have to transport around may exceed uh, the amount of cargo you could carry in your your, your vehicles, um, in your, your large trucks. So, so I think at that scale, hydrogen makes a lot of sense. When you're talking about passenger vehicles, I think the, the challenge today is the infrastructure. And so certainly battery powered vehicles are leading and, and would continue to lead for the near future uh, because of the infrastructure that's in place. However, with our distributed hydrogen uh, capabilities, we could rapidly see modifying existing fueling stations at a very cost-effective um, you know, price point that could enable that infrastructure build out. And it's not going to happen overnight, but I could certainly see in the long run, hydrogen being a far more economic solution than battery-powered systems if cheap infrastructure like what we aim to build uh, is in place to distribute that hydrogen. So I'm going to take a risk here and ask this question because I feel like someone with your level of expertise and intelligence is probably already thinking about it. And even if not from that perspective, I know as an entrepreneur myself, I'm always thinking about, you know, who's going to cannibalize me and it's better to cannibalize myself. So if you were just to guess, what's beyond hydrogen? Mm -hmm. That is a risky question and a tough one. Um, you know, that's that's interesting. I think there's, in one sense, there's almost two legs of hydrogen, right? There's green hydrogen and there's blue hydrogen. And I think uh, both of them will progress in parallel and we're actually working in both spaces. But, you know, I think that green hydrogen is going to become more and more of a important part of the energy landscape with time. And so I would say that that might be my answer beyond blue hydrogen, although it's not as maybe forward looking as, as one might want to go. Uh, Green hydrogen is expensive today, and it's going to take a period of time to see that adoption and that uh, cost curve like we saw with, say, solar uh, and even wind. Um, but I, I do think over the coming decades, it will become a, a massive part of our energy infrastructure. And so I would say that that might be the, the thing to cannibalize, you know, blue hydrogen, if you will, uh, in some of these uh, distributed fueling stations. And just for those that might not be aware, can you explain briefly the difference between green hydrogen and blue hydrogen? Absolutely. So green hydrogen really would be one that's generated with zero CO2 emissions directly from electrolyzing water into hydrogen. Uh, and it could be done, obviously it would have to be done with some sort of renewable energy input like wind or solar to generate you know, effectively net zero CO2 emissions. Blue hydrogen is one where you know, you could either, and there's many definitions of this, but you could either sequester the CO2, capture it in a carbon form and not emit it, or even maybe even classify it as just reducing your CO2 emissions relative to uh, the hydrogen, um, you know, production methodologies that are out there today. Thank you, Matt. So I'm going to switch gears here 
and dig into the crux of our conversation. You kind of gave a brief background of you know where you came from, your journey. But what's your why? What drives you? Again, PhD from MIT. You have vast opportunities. There's an opportunity cost for starting a company like this. Why and what drives you? What motivates you to continue on every day with Utility Global? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I I think there's kind of several drivers. One, intrinsically, you know, I just want to have an impact. Uh, I want to have an impact on society that's beneficial. Um, and I, I hope that we would all aspire to have, have that type of impact. And it's not easy. Uh, the bigger impact you want to have, the more challenges and more adversity you're going to face. Um, so that, that's certainly probably my core driver uh, to just have that, that, uh, that benefit to society. I feel like, you know, in some of the jobs I've had in the past prior to entering the entrepreneurship space, I, I was, you know, able to have an impact, but not at the same level. And that's, that was one of the things that kind of drove me out to become an entrepreneur, uh, rather than, you know, sitting in a large corporation where, you know, there's certainly some benefit to be had to progressing the status quo, uh, to really venture out and try something new that could be disruptive and could really benefit society in the long run. It's a much higher risk approach, uh, but it's one that I think is very rewarding. Uh, we, regardless of whether you're successful or not, uh, it's an experience that, you know, it's, it's something I would never want to give up. Um, you know, that, so. <laughs> so you said several drivers, but I'm going to just step back for a moment here. Why do you want to have an impact? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I was younger, I, my, um, you know, grandfather was still around and he told me, uh, kind of the same thing as to why he was, you know, doing the things that he was working on. He was one of the original inventors of the, the hydroelectric, um, you know, Pelton wheels that we use today and throughout the world. Uh, he installed many of them and, and, it was very interesting to see how he lived. I think his living shaped some of my thinking. Um, many countries around the world, he spoke dozens of languages. He visited over a hundred countries in his lifetime. Uh, and he installed power plants on every, almost every continent, <laughs> not Antarctica, but almost every continent in the world. And, and when you saw this person, he was a very humble person. He, he, you know, had no interest in money. It was, it was fascinating to see uh, people, governments around the world owed him money until the day he died, uh, tremendous amounts of money. Uh, and he never even wanted to collect any of it. His whole focus was on, you know, trying to do something to bring power to these communities around the globe that just didn't have, have that. And, um, you know, so that, that was very inspiring to see, you know, a man who, had such a living. Uh, in fact, you know, even, you know, kind of digressing a little bit, but, you know, when you're, you know, when I was in the elevator with him and, you know, he would just give a tip in a hidden way to, you know, perhaps someone, someone there to help with the bags such that even his, you know, wife wouldn't, wouldn't see it. And extremely, extremely generous uh, tips, the types you see, you know, coming up on the news, but he would not want anyone to even know uh, that he would he would have such a living. So he was just a person who was just giving. His whole life was about uh, giving to others and giving to his family 
And, you know, really a person who had nothing for himself, but wanted to have everything for others. Well, it sounds like he made a lasting impression on you, especially from the hydroelectric world. You said there were some other drivers too. What are maybe one or two other drivers? Why and what motivates you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think one other driver is be able to see that you can have an impact, that you can actually do things that people don't think. You know, when I, as I mentioned, graduating, uh, you know, from MIT at a young age was something that nobody would have fathomed when I was a teenager or, or younger. How, how could this, uh, you know, poor kid kind of even imagine uh, something like that? And yet it came to fruition. Um, you know, I, I also saw throughout my life just a lot of changes that people aren't necessarily expecting. So whereas we have ambitious goals in utility, it doesn't, it, it's not something that we don't think can be achieved. In fact, we know it can be. Uh, and it's that type of attitude and that type of uh, realization, I think that's really important. You know, you talked a little bit about what the future holds. I don't know, but what I can tell you is about the past. And if you look at the change in the speed of which renewables are being adopted around the globe, it's, it is hard to fathom uh, the scale and the speed at which uh, this adoption is occurring. When I was in grad school, I did a lot in the renewable space. And, and basically renewables were 20 or 30 years out and they might, you know, kind of come up and have some minor adoption. Uh, but you saw back then, you know, 1997, uh, you know, I got this off the EIA, but over 50% of this country was powered by coal power plants. Today, it's less than half of that. Uh, it, it, on, on the scales that we're talking about, it's hard to even fathom that that could have been the case. If you looked in 2000 or even 2008, could you imagine coal generating less than 25% of the U.S.'s electricity? It would be impossible to imagine. But the reality is these, these huge successes, these cataclysmic changes are happening all the time. And, you know, if you're, if you're motivated enough and you're willing to take a little bit of a risk, you can be a person who can have one of these uh, cataclysmic impacts on society. That leads beautifully into my next question, but I'm going to broaden it a little bit for you specifically. The question is, what are some valuable lessons you'd say that you've learned on your journey? But for you specifically, you know, recently I've reached out to local universities here. We're getting a little bit of a following or an audience, if you will, amongst university students, people that are pursuing a bachelor's or a master's in environmental science, sustainability, we have some relationships with professors. So I'm going to ask you if you could, both from a professional side and then also from the education piece, some of the valuable lessons that you can share with the audience. Absolutely. You know, I'm technical by nature, uh, obviously an engineer. And one of the things I've learned, which is probably one of the most important things, I actually heard it from my brother when I was a young kid and I never understood it. You know, it's not, he used to say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, advocate that statement too much, but I would say that there's a lot to that statement. Um, you know, as an engineer, we like to focus on uh, technical things, analytical things, logical uh, things, but actually relationships are as important, if not more important. So any advice I would give to any, you know, student, any young entrepreneur, anyone in the working world, um, you know, focus on relationships, even if it's not your thing. Uh, there's fantastic books like the one, you know, by Dale Carnegie uh, that just, they show the value of human relationships. And, um, you know, that would be the thing that I would encourage anyone at any age to think about, uh, you know, maturing, growing and fostering. 
and particularly not just for yourself, although there's a tremendous benefit to building those relationships. But actually, I would say to the extent possible, learn to appreciate the people that you have around you in your life uh, at whatever stage you may be in, whether they're your classmates or your colleagues. You know, I've just become starstruck and in fathom and in awe of everyone I meet. Everyone is really a remarkable person in their own way. And when you get to spend time to know that person and their strengths, uh, you know, there's so much value you can get and so much you can learn from them and so much you can help them to grow and foster and, and uh, mature. So, you know, I, I think the relationships uh, being one of the most important things in any, <clears throat> any endeavor is an important uh, lesson that I've learned and had to learn in, I would say, even a hard way uh, over the years. And do you have any specific lessons from your launch into entrepreneurship that you can share? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think another thing, and it, it builds out of that, um, you know, relationship dialogue. Another thing I would focus on is to say, you know, life is more than work. Um, you know, I, I really love my work. I love what I do, but sometimes I get too caught up to it in it. And as an entrepreneur, you're more prone <clears throat> excuse me, you're more prone to be able to get caught up in your work because your work becomes your life in some senses. Uh, so I would say guard over your time, uh, you know, guard over the things that really matter in life. Uh, so, you know, work is a big part of what we're doing, but, you know, things like your family, uh, things like relationships, people around you, these are equally important. And I, and I emphasize that word equal because, you know, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, we don't put equal time into say our family that we do into our job. Uh, and, and I, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, need to improve in that, that arena. So I, (laughs) (laughs) I would say that that's, uh, you know, another lesson that I'm growing to appreciate more and more. And the earlier you learn that lesson, the better. I think a lot of us fall into that trap. I find that uh, when my wife and kids aren't home, perhaps in the afternoon or evenings, I'll be sitting at my computer, not even realizing what time it is, just because I'm enjoying what I'm doing so much. Right, exactly. So you mentioned green hydrogen, blue hydrogen. You know, we have your upcoming large-scale pilot in Q1. Paint a picture for us five years from now. You also mentioned a couple of potential clients, but what does the future hold for Utility Global? Yeah, so, I mean, utilities growing at a tremendous rate. Um, we're very excited about our, our prospects on both the hydrogen front um, from a green and blue side. We have both a, a low cost blue hydrogen technology and we have an electrochemical um, electrolyzer technology as well. Uh, but we also have uh, the same type of device that can be operated in reverse to generate clean electricity. And, and that's another area that, that we're hoping to grow. Uh, our business model is is interesting and unique, and it's the way I kind of like to run businesses. Uh, it's high scalability, high margin, you know, highly automated, low human input. And so what we want to be is the future Intel, if you will, of the energy space. We want to build mass numbers of these electrochemical chips, as we call them, that can enable everything from green hydrogen to green electricity. Uh, so in five years, our goal uh, is to be partnering with tons and tons of uh, companies like the Samsungs of the world and the Toshibas of the world to package our chips uh, and to you know roll these out to customers around the globe. 
Uh, we actually have some very exciting dialogues going on right now with major Fortune 500 companies about that exact uh, business model. That sounds beautiful, and we'll stay tuned to learn more about that. So last question, and you've sprinkled this entire conversation with advice and words of wisdom. So I'm going to make it more specific. If you could share you know, one or two last pieces of advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? You know, I would say never give up. Um, it doesn't mean don't pivot, but it means never give up. Uh, you know, and I guess there's kind of two pieces of advice. I would, I would say also go after what you want to do. Uh, don't be shy to take risks. You know, sometimes risks end in epic failure and that's okay. As long as you're willing to get up, pick yourself up and get at it again. Um, you know, I never regretted any risk I took and I've had some cataclysmic, uh, failures that are so epic. I can't even talk about them, uh, but I never regret it because I, I did something that I felt was the right thing to do. And I went for it. And sometimes it doesn't work out and that's okay. You just pick yourself up. If you have to start over. Uh, and, and that's probably the most important lesson that I can share because I would hate to have sat in a big company for 20 years, uh, 50 years, whatever it may be, and always wondered what could I do? What could I have done? Um, and, and so I'm so happy to have gone this route. It's more of a roller coaster route. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it's something that I look back every day or very frequently and I just say, you know, I'm really happy uh, to have chosen this route. Because I would not want to be 50 years down the road and look back and say, what could have been? And that won't be me. Uh, I'll know what could have been because I will have tried it. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I would say, at least for my personality, um, you know, do what you, you want to do. You only have one life. Uh, you know, try and live it to the best. Try and benefit those around you. Uh, you know, always be thinking about the value that you're delivering, not for yourself, but for others. Uh, and never give up on your dreams and aspirations. Matt, I appreciate that. I'm leaving more inspired and motivated myself. Before we go, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? No, I think this has been fantastic, Raj. Um, I just uh, want to thank you for the time and, and thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. Matt, thank you. And again, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.